Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. This is the word of the Lord. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, This man would not do evil. We would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens, or everyone who is of the truth, listens to me, to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside, and the Jews told him, and told the Jews, them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would give us this morning ears that are in tune to your word, hearts that are softened by your spirit, and minds, Lord, that are alert to understand your word. I do decrease that you may increase. I become less that you and you alone can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning and that your people would see and glorify you alone. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It is important to remind ourselves of the context surrounding this text. We may forget that from the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 12, which we looked at some six to eight months ago, to that which we are looking at this morning, the verses that we are dealing with this morning, there was a time span of only five to six days. So although it has taken us six to eight months 
to get to this point from chapter 12. We must not allow ourselves to, to lose sight of the immediacy of these events. The shouts of praise proceeding from the mouths of the people at the triumphal entry of Christ may be a distant memory in your and my minds, but in this story they are but days removed. Their shouts of praise soon turn to shouts of rejection. Within a time span of only five days, the people quickly go from shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It is a reminder to us of the, the fickleness of crowds. It is a reminder to us of how superficial praise and accolades may quickly turn to hatred and refuse. This is why we must, we must always remind ourselves that flattery is much like perfume. It is fine for you to smell it every now and then, but it would not be wise for you to swallow it. For when crowds cry out your name and you fail to meet their requirements or their expectations, it will only be a matter of time before they shout, Crucify him or crucify her. This is uh, what our Lord is about to encounter. The last time that we were gathered, we saw our Lord being set up by the mob of that day, if you will. Leaded or headed up by the Godfather of that day, Annas. When we come to verse 28, we are seeing that from the encounter of with Annas, the Jews lead Jesus to Caiaphas, who then sends Jesus to Pilate. But I would like us to gain a little bit more information through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, in order to gain what an understanding of what kind of condition our Lord was in when he reached Pilate. Matthew 26 tells us that Jesus was not only presented before Annas, but he was also taken to Caiaphas. Now, if you can imagine, our Lord bound hand and foot, standing in front of a council that has gathered early in the morning, possibly before sunrise. And they have gathered to condemn the Lord Jesus Christ before he has ever stood his trial. Verse 59 of chapter 26. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. Now, we are not told how many false witnesses came forward to lie about Jesus, but we are told the intentions of the chief priests. They were looking for allegations that would be credible enough for them to carry out their own evil plot to put Jesus to death. Matthew twenty six sixty. at least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Jesus stood there. You can imagine, lit by candles in the dark, bound, accused, and silent. What do you have to say for yourself? Say something. These men are testifying against you. And what will you say for yourself? And still, our Lord remains silent. Until he was asked this question of Caiaphas, verse 63, I adjure you by the, son, by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
Jesus' response, you have said so, or you got that right. I tell you that from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on clouds of heaven. Jesus is pointing the high priest to Daniel chapter 7 and saying he is the Son of Man in that passage who comes with authority and with power. It was Daniel who had faith in Christ and waited for his arrival. He was the one that all of Israel had been waiting for. He was the one that, that was the promised seed of Abraham who come to destroy the works of Satan. Verse 65 of that chapter, the high priest tore his robes and said, This man, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Where's your judgment? To tear one's robes during that time was to express deep grief. But there was no deep grief in the heart of Caiaphas. There was only hatred. There was only despise in the heart of Caiaphas for Jesus. He had made up his mind long before he ever met with Jesus that he was going to kill Jesus. What was their judgment? Was there any need to ask? Verse 66, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? These simple men put their utter depravity on clear display. It is depravity at its worst, and they beat, ridiculed, mocked, slapped, and spat on an innocent man, the only innocent man who ever lived. If you've ever been slapped, there is a, a burning or punch, there is a burning, ringing, dizzying sensation from being slapped or being punched. The humiliation of being spat on. Have you ever felt that? The injustice of being falsely accused. Have you ever felt that? And a host of other feelings that you and I could never in 10,000 years times 10,000 ever begin to begin to understand or comprehend. Our Lord endured and he did so silent as a lamb. So when we arrive at the 28th verse of the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus has arrived at the governor's headquarters. And he has arrived beaten. He has arrived bloody. He has arrived bruised. And it's the, scent, the stench of spit on his hair and on his face. His clothes are possibly ripped from the mob that has decided to rip him to shreds. And he is bound both hand and foot. This is the one who stood before Pilate. This is the condition our Lord is in when he stands before the governor of Jerusalem. This morning I have just three points for you. Number one, the false zeal of the enemies of Christ. The false zeal of the enemies of Christ. Verse 28 of chapter 18 of John. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? 
They answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him and judge him yourselves by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. John tells us that it was early in the morning. After these men had had their mock trial of Jesus, they had waited until daybreak so that they could have a meeting with Pilate. Pilate was the the governor of Judea and Samaria from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36 or 37. And he had different living quarters. But he always made sure that he was in Jerusalem during the holidays, such as Passover, as security was on high alert. Pilate is known throughout history as being a cruel, hot-tempered man. And that may be one of the reasons that he was eventually removed from his position three years after the death and resurrection of our Lord. Now, the religious leaders come to the headquarters of Pilate, and as they approach the headquarters, they stop just short of entering the headquarters of Pilate. Why? They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Think carefully. What carefully, what a, a carefully meticulous act on the part of these religious leaders. Here we find that these hard-hearted men are in the midst of committing the most wicked, heinous act in all of humanity, both past, present, and future. And yet, at the very same time, they are concerned with not entering the house of a Gentile so that they become defiled, lest they become defiled. Spoiled, so they may not be able to celebrate the Passover meal. Do you hear that? They avoided the very thought of entering the house of a Gentile. They dreaded the idea of stepping one foot into that man's house, lest they become defiled. And yet at the same time, they have beaten, mocked, and ridiculed the only innocent man who ever lived. It is a sinfully hard heart, brothers and sisters, that is zealous for minor details of the law, and yet will ignore greater, weightier matters of the law, such as justice, mercy, and love. Jesus, Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe the mint, dill, and cumin, small things, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And what does John tell us? Why? So that they would not become defiled. Again, they beat him, they mocked him, they spat on him. And they should have been aware of the, the crucial nature of moral defilement and internal sin. But they sought to keep up their external experiences or appearances of moral righteousness. So that they've avoided entering the house of this Gentile. So that they would not be defiled. My dear brothers and sisters, this is the epitome of what Jesus calls straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is the epitome of majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Yes, and not my, I'm not majoring on the minors. These men had purposely set up an innocent man to be killed, and yet they would not allow themselves to be defiled by entering the house of a Gentile. 
These were those who in John chapter 9 burned with anger. When Jesus healed a man who was born of blindness, why did they burn with anger? Because he was healed on the Sabbath. And no work was supposed to be done according to the law on the Sabbath. They completely ignored the wonder-working power of God performed in restoring sight to a man that was born blind. And yet, they were more concerned with the apparent law that was broken in this miracle. And we shake our heads in shame and shock. But it is not uncommon to find those who are excessively zealous about observing trivial, insignificant matters while at the same time they themselves are slaves to degrading, detestable sins and immoralities. There are murderers and thieves who are zealous for confession, absolution, prayers to saints, and making sure that they give themselves the cross of the, of the sign of the cross before every single meal. But then they will quickly return to their murder and their thievery. There are those who are passionate about observing all of the requirements, all the requirements of quadragesima. You know what that is, Lent. With all of its fasting, with all of its self-imposed solemnity, only to indulge in a greater degree in all of the worldliness that all of the world has to offer once Lent is officially over. You remember how much meat you ate after Lent was over? <laughs> and now before we too quickly pass judgment on these religious leaders, and before we too quickly pass judgment even on our Roman Catholic friends, and I say friends loosely, let us evaluate our own hearts. How often do we pay great attention to making sure that we are present for the assembling of the saints, but we fail to restrain from gossiping about the saints that we assemble with? Oh, that is straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. We have to pay careful attention to make sure that we are present for the hearing of God's word, but we often neglect the obedience of actively taking that word in evangelism to a lost and dying world. That is straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. That is minoring or majoring on minor details. We are careful. To avoid breaking God's commandment against drunkenness and debauchery. But we at the same time ignore the command of God to love one another. And pray for one another. Let us be careful, brothers and sisters. Not to make the same mistake of the Pharisees. Of whom Jesus said, you clean the outside of the cup and plate. But in the inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Mark Dever says, small holinesses are never more hypocritical than when set against great sins. Small holinesses are never more hypocritical than when set up against great sins. They would not defile themselves as to enter the house of a Gentile, but they would not fail or hesitate to fill their hands with the blood of the Son of God. The only Lamb who could ever make them clean of their sins. Dear brothers and sisters, let us pray that our consciences always be alerted by the Holy Spirit, that He keep us from religion, that it neglects and ignores the weightier matters of holiness and separation from the world. Let us be a people that hate all of sin without exception, and love all of God's Word without exception. And let us ask God to consistently show us where we fail to disobey Him.
In verse 29, Pilate asked, What charges do you bring against this man? What are the charges that they finally decided on? Matthew 26.65 tells, tells us that they settled on the charge of blasphemy. But that is not the response that they give Pilate when he is asking them about the charge. Verse 30, if this man were not guilty of doing evil, we would not have brought him to you. That's the response. They don't tell him what it is, not yet in this passage. They just say, hey, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have wasted your time. Why wouldn't they say blasphemy? According to their law, that would be a charge worthy of the death penalty. But according to Roman law, the charge of blasphemy was no charge. Because they had many gods. Which God are you talking about? Which one today? So they knew very well that they could not bring the charge of blasphemy to a Roman governor because the the charge of blasphemy would not stick. Pilate could care less about the charge of blasphemy. And they knew this all too well. The response is simple. We brought him to you. He's guilty. Now you take care of him. And as our Lord stands there, bloody, beaten, tired, Pilate takes a look at him. And I can imagine him taking a look at Jesus, this bloody, beaten man, turning to these religious leaders and walking away and saying, Take him yourselves. You judge him by your own law. And I can imagine that as he's walking away, dismissing Jesus, the religious leaders scream out or say out, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They they reveal the real reason why they have come to the governor's office, to the governor's headquarters. And he may have stopped in his tracks, turned, and been amazed at these religious leaders, that they would have the audacity have Rome do their dirty work. This is utter depravity on full display. When Rome took control of Jerusalem, they also took control or took away from them the authority to execute the death penalty. Rome had the authority, the only authority to put criminals to death. And they were experts at execution. The religious leaders believed that this might play right into their hands though. Now think. How would this play into their hands? The people, what was their perception of Jesus? Well, Matthew, or John chapter 12 tells us, they hailed him. They hailed him as, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They loved him. They adored him. They were amazed at his teachings. They were in awe of his miraculous deeds. So these wicked men devised a plan to change the public perception of Jesus. By having him killed by the Romans. Now, how would this, the Romans, how would this change the perception of Jesus? By, by way of the most common form of Roman execution. And by way of the most cruel method of execution ever known to man. Crucifixion on the cross. Now, why would that sway public perception of Jesus? Because the people knew Deuteronomy 21, 22. And here's what they knew. And if a man has committed a, pro- a crime punished by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, 
But you shall bury him the same day, for a man hanged on a tree is cursed by God. So the saying became known among the people, Cursed is the man who was hung on a tree. Now, what were crosses made out of? Wood. They're not like the cross in Arvin that is made out of steel. If the people could see that Jesus was hanging on a cross made of wood, they would make the correlation that Jesus is cursed, rather than Jesus being blessed. The religious leaders knew this. Caiaphas knew this. Annas knew this. And who else knew this? Jesus knew this. Which takes us to our second point. The kingdom of Christ, established by truth. Verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to his disciples to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Did you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this, about, say this to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You have said that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is, on, who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Chaos veritas. What is truth? Why do I include verse 32 in this point? It is for this reason, and for this reason alone, to highlight that which was told of Jesus. All things that were transpiring were not transpiring at the surprise of Jesus. There was nothing that was happening that Jesus said, wow, I didn't see that coming. Every single point, every single aspect of this trial was all known and foreknown by our Lord. It was the sovereign plan of God that Jesus would be crucified in this manner. Even in the midst of this degrading experience, our high priest king is sovereign over all things. Even the slaps and the punches and the spits and the ridicule, Christ is sovereign over all of those things and is ordered and ordained. That which sinful man has freely chosen and will be responsible for God has ordained every single moment of it. He is not out of control. His disciples ran thinking, this is out of our control, but it was not out of the control of Christ. He was in control. He is in control. There is nothing in your lives, dear ones, that as you live through this Christian life, that is outside the control of Christ, that is outside of the sovereign plan of Christ. He's not surprised by anything. And he is working all things together for good. Now, in the midst of a slap or a punch, you would not be able to see the good. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We see then Pilate summons our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord enters the headquarters of Pilate. So that Pilate could examine Jesus. But Pilate soon finds that he is the one being examined. Brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, we do not examine Christ. Christ examines us. 
We do not judge Christ. Christ judges us. And as Jesus enters the headquarters of Pilate, Pilate begins to question Jesus. Now, we don't know the tone in which Pilate was speaking. But it seems that he is asking these questions in a rather perturbed manner, in in a rather exasperated manner. Let's get this over with. Verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? Interesting question. You must ask yourself whenever studying, why would he ask that? Where did it come from? John does not tell us that that is even in play here, but Luke does. Luke gives us insight into the conversation that the religious leaders had with Pilate in Luke 23, 2, I think. And they begin to accuse him, saying, this is them standing before Pilate. Here's what they said before Pilate. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Did you hear that? And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now let me read that over to you again, because some of you are still sleeping. Listen. They go to Pilate, and here's what they say to Pilate. Now now think of, listen to, imagine the tone here. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Did Did they really love Caesar? Did they care about, could they give a whip about Caesar? No. So they come to Pilate, and they begin to stroke him. All we want to do is honor Caesar. And this man is preventing us from doing so, and this man is even calling himself a king. The religious leaders knew full well well that the charge of blasphemy would not stick against Pilate, but charge him with wanting to be a king who is threatening the empire of Rome, and now now we've got a trial. Now he may be a possible threat to Rome. So let me hear what he has to say. What terrible wicked men these men were. That they would use their desire to honor Caesar as the smokescreen to bring Christ before Pilate. So Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response, verse 34, Do you say this of your own accord? Did, did others say this to you about me? Well, he knows where it's coming from. Jesus asked the question in return, What are you saying? What are you asking? What are you looking for? Now, is this information that Jesus does not know? Of course he knows it. But here's what Jesus is doing. He is drawing Pilate in. He could have easily said yes. And he could have easily said no. But he responds with, Where do you get that from? Where did you gather that information? Not a question, but a way of unsettling the mind of Pilate, who is already frustrated, who's already had to wake up early in the morning to hear these religious Jews. And now they bring to him this man who is now questioning him. Where did you get that information from, Pilate? And Pilate is asking this. Are you a political king? Have you come to challenge Rome? That's what Pilate is asking. And Jesus knows this. And the response of Pilate, it indicates his short temper. He says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? Jesus asks this question, Am I a Jew? And there's a response, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, your chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Let's get this over with. In essence, Pilate is saying, saying, If you're not a king, then I could care less about you. If you haven't come to challenge Rome, then leave and go. Verse 36, though. Jesus doesn't say he's not a king. 
but rather he draws Pilate even closer in. My kingdom is not of this world. If I were, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. How many times does it say kingdom? How many, do you see that throughout the passage? Kingdom, king, kingdom, king. It's just all over the passage. And who is he standing for? A governor who represents the king. And Jesus is saying, oh, there is a kingdom. This man who is interested in finding out whether or not you are a king, and he says, oh, I've got a kingdom. There is a kingdom. But just to be clear, my kingdom is not of this world. And he's informing Pilate of the true nature of his kingdom. And he's also at the same time correcting any false impressions that he might have received from the Jews about what kind of king he is. Our Lord tells Pilate that he has not come to set up a kingdom, or he is not a king that has come to overthrow the Roman government. He's not that kind of king. It was the aim of our Lord to, it was not the aim of our Lord to establish reign over specific regions, to collect taxes, to support, to gain support through earthly agendas, through bribery. And it was not the, the agenda of our Lord to gain power through the sword. He was not that kind of king. Pilate had nothing to worry about. Pilate, I have no political ambition. His kingdom was not like the kingdom of this world because his kingdom was not of this world. And the weapon that our Lord used was also not of this world. He was armed with the Holy Spirit and with the truth and he was establishing a kingdom like this world had never seen before and will never see again. Jesus is a king. He's a king on a mission to testify about the truth. And he is at that time drawing Pilate in and giving the governor a better understanding of who he is. He is a king. But his kingdom is not of this world. Which points to the fact that he is also not of this world. Do you see the conclusions that Pilate would have inevitably understood? Your kingdom is not of this world, which means that you too are saying that you are not of this world. Do you see the evangelism that is happening right now as Jesus is drawing Pilate in? Can you imagine Pilate standing before this bloody, beaten man, uh, given a task to examine him, only to find that he is the one being examined by this man who says he has a kingdom? Pilate is the one being confronted by truth. And his response to the truth will determine his eternal fate. And what does he say? He says in verse 37, he, he understands the conclusion. He understands the implications there, huh? Hey, wake up. He understands the implications there, huh? Yes. yes. Verse 37, so you are a king. He's following the, the logic. He understands what Jesus is saying. So you are a king. Jesus says, you say that I am a king. What is he saying? You got that right. You say that I am a king. Literal translation, you got that right. 2016 translation. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to truth listens to my voice. Now, what is he doing? Our Lord is saying to him, yes, you are right that I am a king. You've got that right. I am a king. I am king of kings, lord of lords, born to be king. For this purpose, he has come to testify concerning the truth. But he is also at the same time drawing Pilate in 
to understand what the truth of his kingdom really is. Our Lord has come to testify to fallen man about the truth about God, the truth about our sin, the truth about our need to be redeemed from our sin, and the truth about our need for a Redeemer, Christ. Jesus is the King, and He has come to establish a kingdom, a dominion over the hearts of sheep who He has foreloved before the foundation of the world. God is the God of truth. Truth is, do you know, primarily a characteristic of God. It's not so much information about God, as much as it is, as much as it is God embodied truth. Truth is not so much teaching about God, as much as it is the revelation of God. His character that has been revealed to the world. And Jesus is explaining that character to Pilate. The truth of or about God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He came to reveal to us who God really is. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And truth, the truth will set you free. John 8.31 Christ has come into the world to reveal to us the true nature of God. And when we learn about God... We learn, what we learn about God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And what has Christ revealed to us about God? We see the character of God best displayed for us in Christ Jesus. Not so much in His walking on the water. Or in His feeding of the 5,000. We see the character of God not so much in His teachings, although those are Definitely aspects of it. But we see the apex of the character of God at the cross of Calvary. For it is at the cross when we see the holiness of God. And at the same time we also see the love of God displayed for us at the cross. The holiness in that He condemns and punishes sin. The love of God in that He steps in as the substitute for sinful man and takes our place. Therein we see the character of God. The innocent dying for the guilty so that the guilty may go free. If you want to know what sort of king the Lord Jesus Christ is, look to his throne. Look to the cross where Jesus died. If you want to know what God is like, look to his son who is full of grace and full of truth, and who on the cross displayed holiness and love. The kingdom of our Lord will not be established by force, but rather by His death. And three days later, by His resurrection. And as our Lord speaks these words of truth, He is at the same time inviting Pilate in, welcoming this pagan to learn more about the truth incarnate. And what is the response of Pilate? Verse 38. What is truth? This verse has been debated and explained in more ways than I can tell you, but the abrupt ending is the most telling part of Pilate's answer. There's nothing written afterwards. What is truth? This appears to be the wrong question. Not what is truth. Who is truth? 
And was not our Lord inviting this man to know truth, to know him, to know him at that very moment? And he says to him, everyone who listens to the truth, listens to me, listens to my voice, hears my voice. There was no shrinking back in our Lord. There was no apology for who he was and what he was all about. He boldly declared that no man has ever, what no man has ever truthfully declared. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Pilate simply asked the question, and you can almost imagine him asking the question as he, as he dismisses Jesus and walks away. What is truth? But he does not wait for an answer. Therefore, he condemns himself. Because truth was standing right in front of him, but he did not have eyes to see. It is not Jesus who is on trial. It is Pilate. It is not Jesus who will be found guilty. It is Pilate who was found guilty. Because coming face to face with truth, he rejects it and walks away. Friends, Brothers, sisters, visitors, do not make the same mistake. Three. The world on trial. The world on trial. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now this does not mean that Pilate was guiltless. Pilate was just as guilty because he will soon wash his hands of the situation, therefore condemning or thereby condemning himself by not doing anything. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And Pilate loved to rub this in the faces of the Jews. He will later write above the, the cross of Jesus in all sorts of different languages, king of the Jews. They come to him and say, don't put king of the Jews. And he says, I put what I put just to rub it in their faces. They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was a, ro a robber. His name meant son of the father. Bar, son, Abbas, father. Son of the father. Son of father. The people were given a chance to choose Jesus or the Choose Jesus, the Son of God, or to choose Barabbas, the Son of an earthly father. They chose Barabbas. The people were given a chance to choose Jesus, the one who had, who had come to establish a heavenly kingdom through the truth. Or Barabbas, the one who attempted to set up his own kingdom through robbery and rebellion. And the people chose Barabbas. Their options are... Jesus or Barabbas. And they do what sinful man will always do. They choose the one who is most like themselves. Why don't your friends and co-workers love being around you? Because you are not of this world. You are not like them. So they avoid you. They talk about you. They separate when you come near. Because you are not like them. Just as Christ was not like them, they were rebels, simple in their hearts. And in their hearts they hated God. They hated that which exposed what they were not. 
They hated the righteousness of Christ because it exposed their unrighteousness. Who is Barabbas? Look at me for a moment. I am Barabbas. I am sinful. I am a rebel. I am one who hated God in my heart. You are Barabbas. You are sinful. You are the rebels who hated God in your hearts. We were the people in the crowd. We were Peter. We were the religious leaders. We were Pilate. All of whom were on trial. And we chose a sinner rather than the Holy One of God. Every single one of us would have done what Peter did. What Pilate did. What the religious leaders did. Every single one of us. Why, if not for the grace of God, that would be us. We would be Barabbas. And in this story, we are Barabbas. Why? Because by the grace of God, Guilty Barabbas goes free. And innocent Jesus stands in his place. It was Jesus who should have gone free. But in order to fulfill the scriptures and to win our salvation, he stood in our place condemned to be hung on a tree. We are Barabbas, and if you could see yourself standing on that stage as people are crying out for the blood of Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, when you were the one who was guilty, you and I were the ones who should have deserved death, give us Barabbas. Oh, it was the grace of God that Barabbas' name was called. And it's still the grace of God today that your name and my name is called, and he stood in our place. He hung on a tree. By the grace of God, Paul gives us insight into that. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree, so that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Yes, He hung on a tree. Yes, he was a curse on that tree. He was a curse for us. He became a curse. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. Yes, he was cursed. He was beaten, bruised for our sins that we might be set free. Glory be to God for the willing, suffering servant who has suffered on our behalf that we might be set free. Let us stand.